It's six o'clock and you are tuned to KVMR FM Nevada City, KCPC Camino. Hello, I'm Claudio Mendonca and it's time for the KVMR Evening News. After a brief update on the Caldor and Dixie fires, the California report turns our attention to the Central Valley, where the state has ordered that hospitals adopt surge protocols in response to a spike in COVID-19 hospitalizations. After a look at local headlines and regional weather, Paul Emery talks with economist Gary Zimmerman about the latest unemployment numbers. We close tonight with a commentary by Mark Cunaberti. This is the California Report. I'm Saul Gonzalez in Los Angeles. While thousands of evacuated residents who fled South Lake Tahoe because of the Caldor fire are being allowed back home, other communities remain in limbo. That includes Grizzly Flats between Lake Tahoe and Sacramento, which is where the fire first started nearly a month ago. El Dorado County Sheriff Sergeant Eric Palmberg says there's a lot of damage crews are trying to sift through. There's a lot of, of different things going on in the Grizzly Flat area. We literally have thousands, if not tens of thousands of trees that have been burned, that a lot of those are going to need to be cut down as hazards. There's just a, a very large amount of debris up there. PG&E is making repairs. And Palmberg says getting utilities up and running has been a huge challenge. Those homes do not currently have water because Grizzly Flat Water is still trying to repair their service lines. So that is another reason. So the infrastructure in the area, we're trying to make those repairs, get that all up to speed. Now, in terms of the firefight itself, crews continue to make progress in building containment, particularly in areas of concern like around Kirkwood Ski Resort and the towns of Christmas Valley and Echo Lake. The fire has burned more than 216,000 acres and is nearing 50% containment. Meanwhile, to the north, thousands of firefighters continue to battle the state's largest blaze, the Dixie Fire, which has now burned more than 914,000 acres. A particular concern is the Dixie Valley, where some homes were destroyed over the weekend. Several spot fires have threatened containment lines in the past two days, as crews are now being assigned to areas where the fire is most active. The blaze has already burned nearly 700 homes. Turning now to the pandemic, in the San Joaquin Valley, state officials have issued a COVID-19 health order after determining the valley's hospitals have met the threshold to enter surge protocols. What does that mean? Well, hospitals in the 12-county region must accept transfer patients if they have ICU bed capacity. And if there are no ICU beds available, hospitals outside the region must accept patients when clinically appropriate. San Joaquin County Public Health Officer Dr. Maggie Park says hospitals in the Central Valley are struggling right now. Our current daily numbers of confirmed positive cases and the number of people admitted to hospitals for COVID-19 now surpass the peak numbers we had during the wave of summer 2020. We knew that this surge might be as bad as last summer's, but we've passed last summer's numbers and still haven't reached the peak of this current surge. Park says that while other parts of the state have seen COVID numbers stabilize, that's not the case in the Central Valley, which has some of the lowest vaccination rates in the state. In fact, less than 40% of residents in four counties, Kern, Kings, Mariposa, and Merced, have been fully vaccinated. The hospital order from the state's Department of Public Health will be in place until Thursday, when the region's numbers will be reevaluated.
And staying on COVID, according to the California Department of Public Health, 47 million COVID vaccinations have been given in the state and 84 million tests administered. When it comes to COVID testing, one increasingly popular option is at-home test kits. I talked about home test kits with Catherine Wu, a healthcare writer with The Atlantic who's long written about COVID and COVID testing. My first question, do at-home COVID tests really work? Well, it really, really varies, actually. Um, Depending on what you count as a home test, there are really dozens of models out there at this point. You know, some of them you like spit in a tube or you swab your nose and then you ship it off to a lab and they process it and they send you the results. And that's still nice because you don't have to go to a doctor's office or a testing site to take your test. Others, you do the entire process yourself in your living room. And basically the way that I break it down is... Uh, You sort of distinguish between the way that the virus is being detected in that test. That's generally where uh, where accuracy segregates. So for those lab tests um, and for some of the entirely at-home tests, what they're looking for is virus genetic material. So it's really easy to detect a very tiny amount of virus. Um, It makes those tests super sensitive and they're really accurate. That changes a little bit when you switch to a different method where you're no longer looking for the genetic material, but you're looking for viral proteins. So, you know, chunks of the virus, um, you're basically just scanning for what's already there. So it's a lot easier to miss the virus when it's in pretty low amounts. Uh, So that's kind of where uh, the big question is um, on accuracy. And Catherine, is anybody out there regulating these tests like the FDA or some other agency? Yeah, absolutely. Um, That's a really good point to bring up. So the FDA is regulating these tests, but I think what's important to keep in mind is there are still, you know, some black market tests floating around out there that are not FDA approved. And the FDA does keep a list on their website. You can search uh, things like FDA, COVID-19 molecular diagnostics or antigen diagnostics, for example. Hmm. And the tests aren't cheap, right? At least a lot of them aren't. So how much can people expect to shell out? I think this is the trick with a lot of home testing. Uh, Some of the cheapest tests out there and some of the most convenient tests out there are still costing like $24 for a two pack. Uh, And if you're you're trying to test yourself multiple times a week, that can really rack up a bill, especially if you live in a household with other people and you'll all wanna be testing if you're worried about exposure or risk in that sense. And then, you know, the more expensive lab tests or the ones that search for that more sensitive genetic material they can get even more expensive, $50, $75. It really costs quite a bit. And I know there are a lot of experts saying, you know, why isn't the government footing this bill? Why can't we all have access to free rapid tests, which they are actually doing in some other countries? Hmm. All right. That is Catherine Wu of The Atlantic and one of the smartest people covering uh, the COVID pandemic in all of its forms. Thank you so much for joining us on the California Report. Thank you for having me. And we'll have a longer conversation with Catherine about at-home COVID testing posted in the California Report Daily Podcast later this morning. Check it out wherever you get your podcasts. Support for the California Report comes from Stanford Medicine. Protecting your health and providing dependable care with safe in-person appointments and video visits. StanfordHealthCare.org slash AdaptingCare. SFMOMA, presenting the world premiere of Joan Mitchell, a stunning retrospective of over 80 works by the trailblazing painter who made art on her own terms. Learn more at sfmoma.org. And Eric and Wendy Schmidt, 
whose philanthropy harnesses the power of people and science to create innovative solutions for a healthy environment, just societies, and opportunities for human achievement. And that is the California Report for Tuesday, September 7th. We're a production of KQED Public Radio. I'm Saul Gonzalez. Thanks so much for listening and talk tomorrow. Nevada County reported 218 new confirmed COVID-19 cases today for a total of 796 active cases. 23 people are hospitalized. In a release today, Dr. Scott Kellerman, Nevada County's public health officer, clarified that state guidelines require all public, private, or charter schools that intend to implement shortened or modified quarantine must have an approved testing and contact tracing program in place. The release goes on to say that during modified quarantine, students can participate in classroom activities, but not in extracurricular activities, including sports, until quarantine is over and they remain asymptomatic. No extracurricular activities are allowed under any type of quarantine. Quote, schools have the relationships, the resources, and the responsibility to provide for testing and contact tracing of their students, Kellerman says. The administrators of our schools are committed to working with public health to ensure that our children receive the great benefit of in-person education while learning in an environment free of COVID-19. Testing, contact tracing, and quarantining will safeguard our children while attending school. End quote. Moving next to regional weather, in Grass Valley and Nevada City, tonight mostly clear with a low around 70 degrees. Tomorrow will be sunny and hot with a high near 100. Expect widespread haze after 11 a.m. The AQI for tomorrow should be moderate at 57. Moving to Truckee and Lake Tahoe, tonight, partly cloudy with a low around 49. Tomorrow will be sunny with a high near 87. Tomorrow, the AQI for Truckee and Lake Tahoe is expected to be moderate at 62. And finally, for the Central Valley, Woodland and Sacramento, tonight, widespread haze and patchy smoke after 11 p.m., otherwise mostly clear with a low around 68. Tomorrow, more haze and smoke, but also hot, with a high near 105. The AQI for the valley tomorrow will be good at 50. A heat advisory remains in effect for our entire listening region until 8 p.m. this Thursday. Next, Paul Emery and retired Federal Reserve senior economist Gary Zimmerman discuss unemployment numbers. This economic report is sponsored by Rick Kelb, wealth management advisor with Northwestern Mutual since 1983 on Spring Street, Nevada City at rickkelb.com. Gary, how is the economic news of these days? What's particularly has happened with jobs or, you know, is there a smaller number of new jobs? Uh, we, we were expecting the news last Friday. And do you expect the smaller than expected job numbers to cause the Federal Reserve to change their monetary policies this fall? 
Hi, Paul. Well, uh, many economists were surprised by the weaker than expected job numbers for August. Only about 235,000 new payroll jobs were, um, were added in August. Um, that's about a third of what some of the analysts were expecting. But I think we should put that 235,000 jobs created into perspective. Um, 235,000 new jobs is a little more than the average monthly increase in jobs in the, you know, in the 10 years before COVID was hit. So, you know, 235,000 jobs isn't terrible. Um, However, 235,000 is the smallest monthly increase since this January, and it's you know far below the average monthly job increases of you know in the 600,000 range for payrolls that we've seen in 2021. Um, so by that measure, it wasn't good news. Um, you know, on the other side, you know, the economy is still adding jobs. That's that's a big plus. Uh, Gary, uh, how large an increase uh, were the analysts expecting to see in August? Well, the forecasters were much higher than the actual increase in payroll jobs. Uh, many were looking for an increase of about 700, you know, 700, 750,000 range. So 235,000 was well below expectations. You know, I think part of that may have been that, um, you know, the economists had seen two huge increases in payroll jobs, about a million each month in June and July, and expected, you know, that big trend to continue so you know and and um you know there's there are lots of variations in these data and just if one looks you know perhaps just at the past three months we're still looking at you know an average of uh, over 600 700,000 range um of adding new jobs so you know that's that's pretty good well exactly uh, what happened gary uh, why did the job market slow down hasn't the economy been expanding uh, at a pretty fast pace um, yes, Paul, the economy has expanded, been expanding at a pretty fast pace. The GDT num- GDP numbers had come in um, very high. Uh, but probably the most important factor here and the one cited by Fed Chair Jay Powell a week or two before the, these data were released is, is the effect of the surge in COVID-19's Delta variant. You know, As the virus has surged through particularly the unvaccinated, it has affected many sectors of the economy, um, including several that were still recovering from the initial wave of COVID. You know, jobs and leisure and hospitality, travel and recreation, restaurants, retail establishments. These or, you know, sectors of the economy and, um, that were hurt. And, you know, many of these require person-to-person contact and where workers often usually can't work from home. So, you know, I, I expect we may actually see some additional weaknesses and, you know, smaller job gains in the September job numbers as well, especially when we add in to COVID uh, and the Delta variant, the, the temporary job losses that we're going to see arising from the hurricanes and flooding in the east and, and the wildfires in the west. Well, Gary, didn't the unemployment rate actually decline as in August? Uh, that was a, that was good news, wasn't it? Uh, yes, Paul. The unemployment rate continued to fall in August, dropping from 5.4% of the labor force down to 5.2% of the labor force. That's good news, um, but it's still, you know, ways above the 4% um, unemployment rate that the Fed policymakers would like to see when the economy is back to full employment of the labor force. Um, you know, other other indicators like the underemployment, that still remains high at about 8.8% of the labor force. So we still have a ways to go, but even by the unemployment rate measures. But, you know, falling unemployment rate is, is a good sign of improve, some improvement in the job market and the recovery. Uh, Gary, uh, one last question. Uh, 
This is a good one, actually. Why didn't eliminating the temporary $300 supplemental unemployment benefits in about half the states, why didn't that cause workers to take jobs and add to the payroll numbers in July and August? Well, Paul, the preliminary research that I've seen comparing the states that eliminated the $300 payments with those that continued the $300 payments suggests that you know eliminating the $300 a month had little effect on the unemployed taking jobs in states that eliminated the federal payments. Uh, why? Um, you know, even before the payments were eliminated in those states, you know, surveys of the unemployed suggested that many workers reported other reasons for their continued unemployment: um, COVID uh, risk or fear of COVID, um, child care needs, and the high cost of child care. Uh, workers who are shifting to other types of jobs or areas of the country, you know, other types of jobs may require training that takes time. Moving to other areas of the country can also be time-consuming. Um, so so, you know, those those are good reasons why um, we should you know, not be surprised that that didn't work. Um, you know, well, let me let me let me finish, though, with another risk to consider from, you know, eliminating the additional support, um, you know, based on what happened at the state level, I'm. I would expect to see that the end of the federal government's temporary $300 unemployment benefits this month um, and also ending support for gig workers and the self-employed um, likely won't have a positive major impact on the payroll employment in the coming months either. Um, and, you know, that may well be overshadowed again by what happens with the, the Delta variant. Um, and, and we may have a ma- macroeconomic risk here that the uh, elimination of the support, unemployment support, um, will reduce consumer spending overall. That's a, that's a lot of money. And, um, you know, as the unemployed cut back further on spending. So, you know, we've already seen some weakness in retail spending and consumer confidence. Um, and this, you know, loss of additional fiscal or government support for the unemployed, you know, could actually slow the overall economic rebound uh, from COVID. So um, that, that's another risk that comes to this you know, change in policy. Interesting stuff, Gary. Well, thank you. Thank you so much. You're welcome, Paul. Gary Zimmerman is a retired senior economist for the San Francisco Reserve in San Francisco and currently is a visiting professor at the Vienna University of Economics and Business in Austria, where he teaches courses in economics and finance. We close tonight with a commentary by Mark Cunaberti. Welcome to another edition of Money Matters. My name is Mark Cunaberti. Inflation has been called the stealth tax, as few people realize inflation is a form of tax and that it enriches the wealthy as it impoverishes the lower income strata. How this transfer takes place is easily explained. Imagine I fill a room with 100 people and I lock the door and I give each person $1,000, then offer up a $5,000 Rolex watch to the highest bidder. The only rule is two people cannot combine funds. Since the watch, or whatever it is I offer up to sell, has a higher value than the cash each person holds, the assumption 
assumption is everyone will want to buy the watch. Since each person only has $1,000 and cannot combine funds with another, the top bid would be $1,000. Before I close the deal, I now hand out another $1,000 to each person. The top bid would immediately rise to the maximum each person has, which is now $2,000. We have just witnessed monetary inflation, which was inflation caused by an increase in the money supply when I passed out more money. The price of the watch doubled because more money was introduced into the system. In this example, the system is the room. Extrapolating now, when more money is introduced into an economy, the prices of things rise as each person has more money to spend. This is monetary inflation. Since the only entity allowed to manufacture more money is the government, and in the case of the U.S. it's the Federal Reserve Bank, they alone are the cause of monetary inflation. The transfer of wealth to the rich from the rest of the populace is accomplished by the inflation that is caused by the introduction of new money through government deficit spending. Since the Federal Reserve creates money through the push of a button, at the instant the money is created, it goes into government coffers, which is then spent. An important note is that the first entity to spend this new money sees no increase in prices as the money is not in the system yet. Prices only start to rise as the money filters out to the rest of us. One could argue that not only does the government get free money from the Federal Reserve's money creation ability, they are not the victim of the inflation they are about to cause. As the money filters down, imagine a family sees a 5% increase in prices due to the newly created money. Their standard of living goes down because the prices of the things they need to buy go up. Living hand-to-mouth as many do, this 5% price increase places undue hardship on the lowest income levels. But because inflation increases the prices of everything, those that own assets see those assets rise in value at the same percentage. So if a person owns $1 million in assets like businesses, stock, or real estate, they see a 5% rise in the value of these assets. In our example, a 5% inflation rate pencils out to an increase of $5 million dollars which is 5% of the $1 million of assets the person owns. The more assets that are owned, the more money is made. It is this rise in asset prices, known as inflation, that continually increases the wealth of the rich while steadily impoverishing the poor. The longer inflation runs, the more the rich get richer and the poor get poor. Because a majority of families do not own assets and spend all their money on living expenses, they are hurt by inflation, while those that own assets profit from it. The stealthy part of inflation that it also causes salaries to rise increases home values and retirement accounts. This increase gives the illusion that things are improving. Nothing could be farther from the truth, because wages never keep up with the overall price increase in the economy, which is called wage price lag. People are left wondering why they find it harder to make ends meet, despite rising salaries, retirement balances, and home values. In conclusion, the more cash governments hand out, the worse it gets for the lower classes and the more the wealthy profit. This wealth migration consistently drives more people into poverty as it concentrates more and more of the wealth at the top in the hands of a few. In essence, the loss of wealth from the poor is transferred to the rich. Next time you see government handouts, bailouts, or stimulus programs, realize that the more money they spend, the worse the situation becomes for the majority of Americans. That's it for today's Money Matters. The opinions expressed here are mine alone. and may not reflect those of this station, its staff, members, or underwriters. This is not meant as investment advice. Consult a qualified financial advisor before making any investment decisions. I hold California Insurance License OL34249, and I'm a Medicare agent approved in the state of California. Our website is moneymanagerradio.com, where everything is free. Our way of saying thank you for listening to your community radio station. My name is Mark Greenberg.
Well, that wraps up our newscast for tonight. Check out the extended version of the economic report on our website, kvmr.org, or wherever you get your podcasts. We get support from California Solar, local B Corporation, employee-owned solar co-op in Grass Valley. Working to balance profit and purpose. Specializing in residential and commercial solar systems, including battery backup systems. California Solar, cal-solar.coop. And First U.S. Community Credit Union, serving the gold country for over 80 years providing member owners with loans, savings programs, personal service, and financial solutions for individuals and businesses. In the Fowler Center, Grass Valley, firstus.org. Stay tuned. Coming up next is Educationally Speaking, followed by Democracy Now! at 7. Thanks very much for listening and for supporting your community radio station. I'm Claudio Mendoza. Have a great evening.